This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us worship God. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and may God's face shine upon us, that your way may be known upon the earth, your saving power among the peoples. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. Eternal God, creator of the universe, the sun and moon and the stars of night, you are the giver of all life and you are the source of every blessing. 
We know that we rest in your love and abide always in your grace. Therefore, we thank you and we praise you, O source of all blessings, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord, and because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, our word of welcome is one that we extend with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house, so all are welcome here. We ask everyone, members and guests alike, if you would be so kind as to sign the friendship pad, which you will find on your pew. If you will sign your name and send it down the pew and back again, we will have the advantage of each other's names at the conclusion of this service as we greet one another. We'd also like to invite everyone to a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door beside the pulpit and down a short hallway. There you will see that our deacons have prepared some light refreshments, but most importantly, you will find the opportunity for us to gather together in fellowship. Today is one of our TNT brunches, so if you're in your 20s or your 30s and you'd like to join together in brunch, find Elaine Hanby in Old Buttonwood Hall or back in the back of the sanctuary now and just indicate you'd like to go to brunch along with that group and they would love to welcome you. So please do take part in that if that is of interest to you and you're in your 20s and your 30s. I'd like to highlight as well that we have a Hymn Sing Sunday coming up in July, July the 9th. That will be a combined service for both the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock services here in the sanctuary at 11 o'clock. We're doing a little bit differently this year. We're going to do more of a call out your favorite hymn sort of approach. So if your hymn is in the hymnal, you don't need to request it in advance and we'll try to get to as many as we possibly can. But if your hymn is not in the hymnal, Andrew needs to hear from you so that he can comprise that list and be prepared for that. He is giving me a, a robust nod. <coughs> Finally, as a family of faith, we have cause for joys and we have causes for sorrows, and today we have tremendous cause for joy. In a week when often we hear of churches that do not honor the role of women in leadership, we are blessed to celebrate today a significant anniversary. Our preacher of the day, the Reverend Barbara Chapel, celebrates 50 years of ordained ministry this year, yesterday. So we are glad and grateful for... <laughs> We are indeed glad and grateful for Barbara's leadership in so many ways in our congregation. And to that end, Barbara, I have a gift for you from your friends here at First Church in celebration of your 50th ordination anniversary. Thank you, Gary. And I open it. <laughs> <laughs> I Announcements completed, let us now turn to God as we confess our sins, first together in unison 
and then in silence, remembering always that we do not need to fear confession. It is, rather than a source of judgment in our lives, it is a source of wholeness in our lives as we are honest with God and with ourselves about those aspects of our lives that stand in need of God's grace. So let us join together in prayer. Holy God, we long to see you, to know you, and to serve you. You have made us, redeemed us, and called us to be your people. Yet too often we allow other priorities to take precedence. Doing the good that you call us to do somehow falls by the wayside. And yet the calling to be uniquely committed to your ways never ends. So forgive our sins. Forgive the moments when we fail to live as your people. And in forgiving us, call us anew and show us the way you would have us go for the glory of Jesus Christ. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first reading of scripture today comes to us from the 10th chapter of Matthew's gospel. Listen for the word of God. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, then how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will be uncovered, and nothing secret will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have come to bring not peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
and one's foes will be the members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Here ends the first reading. May God bless to our hearing and our understanding this reading of God's holy word. The Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Genesis, beginning in the 21st chapter with verse 8. It's a story that some of you may not be familiar with. Listen for God's word. The child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of this slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got him a wife from the land of Egypt. 
This is the word of the Lord. pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. As you now know, yesterday marked the 50th anniversary of my ordination to the ministry of word and sacrament in the Presbyterian Church. The service of ordination took place just across the Delaware River in Haddonfield, New Jersey, at the First Presbyterian Church there, which is the church I grew up in. I want to thank you, Baron, for inviting me to preach this morning as a way to celebrate the calling that I have followed for 50 years of my life. A ministry that has taken me first to Dickinson College in Carlisle as that, as that college's first woman chaplain, to the Bryn Mawr Presbyterian Church as assistant pastor there, and the first woman minister to ever serve on their staff, back to Princeton Seminary where President James McCord asked me to direct a new communications department, and to this congregation which has been my church home and my place of ministry for many years. We each have our stories. I hope you will grant me some personal reflection on this occasion, perhaps more personal reflection than is usually given in a sermon. But I would like to share some insights from my 50 years of ministry with my faith community. Ordination whether as a minister, an elder, or a deacon, is being set aside to a particular calling, a calling from God that is confirmed by the people of God, symbolized by the laying on of hands. It is, in a sense, being chosen, being set apart. As a minister, one is chosen for the particular vocation of preaching and teaching the Word of God the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, the history and the tradition and the confessions of the church, and through pastoral ministry, conveying the love of God to God's people. Chosen, 
as the Jews were chosen as God's people, as Abraham was chosen as their patriarch, as men and women are chosen as leaders of the church today. Whether we're talking about the chosen people of God as the Jews were chosen as God's covenant people, or an individual chosen for ordination to ministry, one is always chosen not to status, but to service. But being chosen is a tricky concept, because perhaps if some are chosen, it means that some are not. Some are part of what the church, the society, the economy has determined is the main story, and some are not. I remember as a shy girl the pain of being the last one chosen for my elementary school softball team, not being chosen to read aloud in my third grade class, not being chosen as the lead in The Sound of Music, my senior high school play, not being chosen by the boy I wanted to go to the prom with. Not being chosen felt like being not seen, not heard. And in some ways, following the path to ministry felt like not being seen and not being heard or understood in my own family. I was the first woman among my 10 cousins to go to college, the first woman in my generation. None of my grandmothers or aunts or my mother were professional women, though they worked hard in more traditional roles. Then I had the nerve to follow a calling that was almost completely the provenance of men. I knew of no women ministers to follow as role models. My mother worried that I would never marry. I remember her saying to me, what man would marry a woman minister? And although my family was very involved in the church, there were no ministers on the family tree. At least I didn't know of any until I visited my great-great-grandfather's grave in Clearfield, Pennsylvania, and read etched on his gravestone that he had been a Baptist minister during the Civil War. I was not alone. Being a woman in leadership in the Presbyterian Church was for a long time an experience of not being seen or heard. Women were not ordained as ruling elders in our church until 1932, or as ministers of Ward and Sacrament until 1956. There were only nine women in my class at Princeton when we entered seminary out of about 150 students. A few of our professors did not think we should even be there. As a senior interviewing for pastoral positions, I remember one pastor telling me that Although I had the clear ability for his position of assistant pastor in the church he served, his congregation was not ready for a woman 
And 50 years later, just last week, the Southern Baptist denomination dismissed one of its largest churches because they have a woman on their pastoral staff. I remember when I served at Bryn Mawr, some women did not feel that I, as a woman, could speak about God to them. And so they asked that I preach less frequently. Others rejoiced to see me in the pulpit, finally feeling represented in their own journeys of faith as women. One gentleman, I recall, did not come to worship if he knew I was taking part in the service. One Easter morning, though, he came to the 8 a.m. early service and unexpectedly found that I was reading the Easter scripture. A week later, I received a note from him saying that he had been wrong about women in ministry, that he heard the story of Mary coming to the empty tomb in a new way as I read it as a woman, and that that one experience had helped him to understand his three daughters more clearly. Now to scripture where there are also people who are not seen or heard or valued in the community, and many of them are women. The story of our faith begins with the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, the forefathers and a few foremothers with whom God made his covenant promise, who traveled to Ur to the land that God gave them followed by Jacob and Joseph, by Moses and Miriam and Joshua, by King David and King Solomon, the other kings of Judea and the great prophets of Israel. These are the chosen ancestors of our Judeo-Christian family. Yet, scattered within their long story of generations are characters who are excluded from the family tree characters outside the inner circle, characters outside of the privileged chosen, not part of the main story, characters who are used by the heroes of the story to further their own ends. Hagar is one of these. Hagar's brief story is told in two passages in Genesis. She is an Egyptian slave woman, a woman of color, a foreigner who is Sarah's maidservant, her property. In chapter 16, we learn that Sarah, being barren, has asked Abraham to take Hagar as his wife in order that he might have an heir. He does, and Sarah becomes uh, Hagar becomes pregnant. Sarah feels her contempt and treats her harshly, and Hagar runs away into the wilderness. There, 
An angel of the Lord appears to her by a spring of water and urges her to return to Sarah for the security of her coming child and promises that her son Ishmael will become father to a great people. By chapter 21, Sarah has borne her own son Isaac and worries that Ishmael will supplant Isaac for Abraham's inheritance. So once again, she tells Abraham, send Hagar away with God's promise that Ishmael will become a great nation, Abraham agrees and sends Hagar and the child with some bread and a skin of water back into the wilderness. There they wander until the water and the bread are gone. Hagar leaves Ishmael under a bush to die and sits nearby weeping. But God hears Ishmael's cries and Hagar's pleas and shows Hagar a well. They live in the wilderness. Ishmael grows to manhood. Hagar finds him a wife. And he becomes the father of the Ishmaelites. And as many Muslims believe, of the nation of Islam. Embedded in these two brief conversations in the wilderness, Hagar finds the welcome and the justice that she had not found with Abraham and Sarah. She learns that the Lord does see her and does hear her. In the first conversation, God comforts her with the promise that her son will be the father of multitudes. And she responds, she responds by naming God El Roy, which means the God who sees. The God who sees her. God sees and gives her strength to go on. In the second conversation, God hears the voice of the boy and speaks to Hagar and calls her by name and provides them with a well of life-giving water. The Hebrew word for hear in the text is shama, which you have probably heard of. It is the same word used in the prayer in Judaism called the shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Shema does not mean passive listening, but active, engaged listening that leads to doing. God heard, God understood, and God provided water. God turned God's heart toward Hagar by seeing and hearing her and acting on her behalf. I have come to believe in my ministry that this turning of the heart toward others by truly seeing them and hearing them and then acting to welcome and include them 
is the heart of ministry. For as we read in the gospel, not even a tiny sparrow will fall to the ground without God seeing it and turning his heart toward it. I remember a young student at Dickinson College named Jeffrey who came to see me in 1973. 1973. I still see him. He was a ruddy-cheeked, black-haired, slender Italian young man, and he was Roman Catholic. He was nervous when he came, in part, I suppose, because talking with a woman in the clergy was unimaginable in his tradition but he was almost desperate. He told me haltingly that he believed he was gay and therefore knew that God did not love him and that his church would never accept him. I remember seeing his pain and I remember reaching out to touch his shoulder. He came back to see me each week for almost a year. And I listened to him and learned his story and tried to help him see the wonderful young man that I saw and that I knew God saw and loved. And there was a young woman named Nancy who had turned to drugs in trying to cope with a, with a very difficult and painful family situation. She had no time for God or for the church. She only came to me because we sang in the college's early music group together, and he knew me. Many conversations later, some over steamed clams at a local pub each Tuesday, and with support from others and a very good therapist, she turned her life around, graduated with honors, joined a church, became an attorney, and asked me later to officiate at her wedding. She made this stole that I'm wearing this morning as a gift for me. Or the young woman named Donna, who had been born a biological male and grew up as Douglas, but who with the support of her parents and doctors had made the difficult decision to transition to becoming a female, 1973. This courageous woman came to see me to begin life in this new identity, Donna transferred to Dickinson College to begin her junior year, and the college counselor asked me, as a woman on staff, to be her support person, her conversation partner, to meet with her weekly, to listen. The reality in 1973 was that trans people were not commonly known or accepted. I was worried about how I would respond to Donna, whether I could help her. The first day she came to my office after we had introduced herself, ourselves, she said to me, 
Barbara, please, please ask me any questions that you have. Otherwise, you won't be able to help me. She saw me. She understood my anxiety and my uncertainty. She brought me into her experience and offered me the water of honest conversation. We talked with one another for two years until she graduated. I learned so much from Donna about acceptance and love, about bringing those into the story who were outside of it. I think of the many women students who made the very difficult decision to choose abortion in those early years in the 1970s, just before and after Roe v. Wade became law, when they found themselves unexpectedly pregnant and had no support from parents, boyfriends, or their churches, and faced dropping out of college. So I was asked to get training from a group called Clergy Consultation, and I became an accompanier, driving them to a clinic in Washington, D.C., listening to their fear and their guilt, accompanying them through the procedure, waiting for them through their tears, driving them back to Carlisle, and hoped in some way, in some way, that I was giving them life-giving water. It is amazing to me that my 50 years in ministry began with the enactment of Roe v. Wade. And now those years are bookended with its repeal. All along the way and today, there have been so many to turn our hearts toward. There was the young priest, Father Johannes, from the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, who came to Princeton Seminary from Addis Ababa when I was a student, sent by his archbishop to get a degree in ecumenics from Princeton Seminary. He knew no one at the seminary. He lived on the second floor of my dorm, and he wanted to learn better English and asked me to help him. Many evenings, we sat in front of the dorm television while I explained what the commercials meant. He thought if he could learn the nuances of English in television commercials, he would understand our language. We became fast friends. I invited him to my parents' home for Thanksgiving. He bounced my then little nephew Jeremy on his knee while Jeremy played with his pectoral cross. Some Sundays, my family would go to hear him preach in a small immigrant congregation in New York City and worship in the Eastern tradition, in his language of East. When my father died years later, Father Johannes, by then returned to Ethiopia and himself elevated to the office of archbishop, called my mother 
to pray with her in her grief. When I set the date for my ordination, I asked Father Johannes if he would participate in the service. He gently declined, saying that his archbishop would not permit it since his church did not ordain women. But several days later, he came and told me with a twinkle in his eye, Barbara, I will participate in your ordination. I have decided not to ask the archbishop. So this dark-skinned, black-robed, turbaned, bearded priest from Ethiopia came to the lily-white Haddonfield Presbyterian Church and offered a prayer for the world church and for world peace, and then laid his hands on my head with the other leaders of the church, participating in the laying on of hands as I was ordained. These are just a tiny few of those that I hope I have seen and heard in my ministry. They are outside of the main story, as many of us tell it. In some cases, they are outside of the church. They are those whom the church or society or the majority who have written American history have excluded and not welcomed. In some cases, they are those who do not feel comfortable in the church or who are from other traditions or other faiths, those whom the church has not fully seen or fully heard or offered the water of life. As I look out to you, my friends, I think of those among you whom I have seen and heard and been privileged to serve with, those I have married, like Noble Thompson and Patrick Kipp or Jenin Bill Johnson, or whose children I have married, like John Winkler and Elizabeth Leonard and Terry Rogers, and those I have baptized, and those at whose memorial services I have spoken, like John Whitmer and Randy Orner and Tom Weisberger, and those that I have taught confirmation to the faith, like Olivia Johnson, or the many of you I have guided in spiritual direction classes, like Diane Rogers and Mary Schneider, and all of you for whom I have prayed. I hope that I have seen you and heard you and offered God's life-giving water to you. I know that you have done so for me, and I am so grateful. In seeing and hearing each other and turning our hearts to one another, we incarnate the hope within us that is Christ's love. I ask 
that each week as you leave the sanctuary and take up the mantle of your ministry, you will really see and really hear those whose paths you've crossed. Those in this congregation, those outside of its walls, those outside of the church itself, those who, like Hagar, have been sent into the wilderness because they are not understood as part of the main story. As all of us, at some time, have not felt like part of the main story. Seek these out and turn your heart toward them, for their stories are God's story. You are chosen as we all ultimately are chosen for a calling by our God. Blessings to you all in this ministry, my friends. Amen.
You may be seated. As we come to celebrate the sacrament of baptism, Elder Reggie Amo will represent the session. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here as well, these other words from Holy Scripture that we have already heard this service. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. And so obeying the words of our Lord Jesus and confident of his promises, we baptize those whom God has called. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show that we belong to God. God frees us from sin and death, uniting us with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. By water and the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Christ, and joined to Christ's ministry of love, peace, and justice. Therefore, let us remember with joy our own baptism, even as we celebrate this sacrament. On behalf of the session, I present Julian Balfour Amor, son of Philip and Natalie Amor, to receive the sacrament of baptism. In presenting your son for baptism, you must make answer to these questions. First, do you desire that Julian should be baptized? Relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith and teach that faith to your child? Do you, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture Julian by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging him to know and follow Christ, and to be a faithful member of his church? If so, please respond by saying, we do. Through baptism, we enter the covenant that God has established, and within this covenant, God gives us new life, guards us from evil, and nurtures us in love. In embracing that covenant, we choose whom we will serve by turning from evil and turning to Jesus Christ. And as God embraces your child within this covenant, I ask you, for his sake, to reject sin, to profess your faith in Jesus Christ, and to confess the faith of the church, the faith in which we baptize. And so the congregation is invited now to stand and join together as we surround this family with the faith of the church as we celebrate the sacrament of baptism. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into death. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sitteth on the right hand of God. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. 
Let us pray. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We give you thanks, eternal God, that you nourish and sustain all living things by the gift of water. In the beginning of time, your spirit moved over the watery chaos, calling forth order and life. In the time of Noah, you destroyed evil by the waters of the flood, giving righteousness a new beginning. You led Israel out of slavery through the waters of the sea into the freedom of the promised land. In the waters of Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed with your spirit. By baptism of his own death and resurrection, Christ set us free from sin and death and opened the way to eternal life. We thank you, O God, for the water of baptism. In it we are buried with Christ in his death. From it we are raised to share in his resurrection. Through it we are reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. Send your spirit to move over this water, that it may be a fountain of deliverance and rebirth. Wash away the sin of all who are cleansed by it. Raise Julian to new life and graft him into the body of Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon him that he may have the power to do your will and continue forever in the risen life of Christ. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, be all praise, honor, glory, and glory, now and forever. Amen. What is the Christian name of your child? Julian Bafour, son of the covenant. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. May God's blessing rest on you this day and every day hereafter. Amen. This is Julian, and you have made him an extraordinary promise in an era that seems to be short on commitment. You have done the opposite. You have said that through the manner of your life, by what you say, by what you do, you will show him what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so as always, I admonish you to take that promise with the utmost of seriousness. And I invite you once more to affirm your intention by standing and singing together the ironic benediction. You may be seated.
remembering that we worship a God of boundless generosity. Let us worship God with our tithes and our offerings. There are numerous ways to give, but it is always to the same God that we give our gifts. So let us do so with a cheerful heart. Thank you. 
Eternal God, you are from everlasting to everlasting, the source of all good from whom we receive all blessings. Everything that has been, you have made. So all that we have found in this life comes from your generous hand. The breath of life even comes from you. Receive our offerings now and bless them and use them that they might enable us to see your kingdom at work among us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us now continue in prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, as your beloved, claimed, and useful people, we know that you have set us in the world with the expectation that we should live as your people. Living thusly means bearing one another's burdens and sharing one another's joys and coming to you in candor and honesty with the needs of our hearts, knowing that you delight in our prayers, knowing that we will be heard. So we offer prayers for this world that you have made and loved. For those in positions of authority, grant that they may govern wisely and well. We pray for this community where we make our homes, that as the mercury rises, we know there are those who will suffer in summer's heat and give us compassion and resourcefulness to respond. Where we may be of service, motivate us to be of action. To that end, we pray for the church, the church universal, the Presbyterian church, and specifically First Church. As you have called us out to live as your people, remind us as often as it takes of what that means for us to do and be, that we might indeed participate in your transformation of the world through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we make this prayer and with whose words we conclude our prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Now go out into your ministry and those whom God sends to cross your path. Hear them, see them, offer them living water. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.